Hello everyone. I didn't want to insert too much of my own commentary before introducing my guest today because I feel the conversation flowed perfectly and encapsulated my thoughts and desires very well about this show and what I want to do with it. But if you feel I've added value to you and you like this content and want to learn more about the business ideas and affiliates I've been working with, then you can subscribe to the Invictus Mind newsletter. All you need to do is send the text INVICTUS to 33777 so I can send you a welcome letter and share some additional content with you. You can also find me on Patreon and support me there and view the videos of these conversations too. Okay then, thanks very much. Let's get started. The human spirit is unconquerable. We are individuals and we are sovereign, born with unlimited potential, gifted from our creator. Our mission is to break free from the systems that bind us. I volunteer as tribute. We strive for peace and prosperity and overcome all challenges, roadblocks, and obstacles. We are empowered because we think for ourselves and we act for ourselves. We are self-reliant and independent, but guided by the wisdom of those who share our values. What possible difference can I make? There is no government, no ruler, nor ideas that are able to stop us. We are driven to succeed because we seek political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. This is Mike Corbell, and you are listening to The Invictus Mind. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Invictus Mind, where we talk as sovereign individuals who can position ourselves to become unconquerable, to live the life we've always wanted and follow political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. This is your host, Mike Corbell. Today, it is my privilege to be talking to someone who, although I've never met the man in person, and he doesn't know this, he has been a great inspiration to me over the years. When I decided to start this show, it was directly related to the things I've been learning listening to his program. He is, of course, a podcaster and the host of the program Wealth, Power, and Influence. His story, of course, doesn't start there, but the man began his career in the armed forces in a military sniper unit working counterterrorism and reconnaissance. Later in his career, he began teaching financial trading online, where he built a multi-million dollar business. He was also a star of a TV show featured on the History Channel. And now we can add the title author to his resume. I've asked him to come on the Invictus Mind and talk a little bit about his career, his success as a consultant and business guide, and about his new book entitled The Nomadic Wealth Formula. I am talking about, of course, Jason Stapleton. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. You know, I was talking to your buddy, Brian McWilliams, the other day on a podcast. And as I was doing the intro, he, was, uh, he interrupted me because I was talking about one of his sidekicks uh, shows that he does. And uh, he's like, oh, thank you for talking about that. And I was like, I didn't finish my intro. He's like, well, <laughs> just go on with the adoration and everything like that. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't give you enough praise, Jason, but I don't want to make it too cheesy. Oh uh, no! Well, thank you very much. You're you're really kind. I I uh, I know I I don't know how much uh, you know how much credit I get for the 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 success other people have, but I'm glad that so many people find value in what I do. That's that's really nice. I can't remember exactly when I started listening to you. It was probably about three, maybe four years ago, and I had just been introduced into the world of podcasting. And I caught your show, and I really I, I just uh, I adhered to it, and I, I found a couple other shows I liked. But it was your show at the time who really pushed me into doing something I should have done 20 years ago, and that is getting into podcasting and media and things of that nature. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, that's one of the it's one of the easy ways because I think that one of the ways that we feel helpless or that we feel trapped um, or, or powerless, maybe that's a better word is powerless, is that we don't feel like we have a voice. And I think one of the ways that you can begin to put that voice out there is to is to start a podcast. I mean, even even if you only have a you know a few dozen people listening to you at the beginning or a few hundred people, man, that's that's something that you can build a movement around, whatever that is, whether it's teaching, you know, working with autistic kids because you're a parent of an autistic child or whether it's a political movement or or a philosophical movement, uh, you know, it's a way for you to have a voice in your world. Uh, and, uh, and I find that most people who start one do it for the reasons that you said. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's something that you wanted to do for a long time, but that you never really took the steps. And so I, I just simply step in and say, well, here, I'll show you what I did. And it worked reasonably well. So you'll probably have some success too. Well, great. Jason, I want to give you a, a couple of minutes just to share a little bit about your story. I'm sure that there's nobody within the sound of my voice who hasn't heard your name, but just in case there are a few, um, you could probably tell your story a lot better than I can. So why don't we start there? Yeah, I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version. I'm a former um, special operations Marine who uh, spent most of his time doing counterterrorism, hostage rescues type stuff. And then I went to uh, work for, I actually spent a few years just kind of bouncing around after I left the service, doing odd jobs. Uh, I sold security systems door to door. I worked as a landscape guy, mowed lawns, changed oil at a, at a, uh, at, you know, at a body shop. And, and I ended up going back overseas to do some contract security contracting work in Iraq and Afghanistan. And while I was there, I, I studied um, the financial markets and studied trading, ended up becoming a, a pretty good trader. And instead of continuing on the path of just like working overseas and getting shot at, I decided to start an education company to tell, teach people what I did. Uh, and that got to be pretty successful. In 2014, I started a podcast, which you already alluded to, um, that became pretty popular. And, uh, and today, I, uh, I own a company called the Stapleton Agency. And what we do is we help people, uh, entrepreneurs, small to midsize, uh, uh, help them do a better job of of marketing and branding themselves and, and what they have so that they can stand out in a sea of people who are all competing for their time, their attention, and their money. Perfect. Yeah. When I first heard you, I was, uh, well, I still am in the financial services arena, although you've inspired me to change directions, which is what I've been focusing on this year in 2020. Uh, everything went digital, as we know, because of the lockdown. So no longer were we able to meet in person, have big events. And so uh, this is completely new to me. Like I said, I wanted to start this 20 years ago. I actually had a, a college experience uh, learning multimedia and editing and things like that. But then my career went in a completely different direction. Hmm. And it wasn't until you started telling me about uh, the nomadic wealth principle and controlling, controlling the source of your income and just doing podcasts. I'm like, I got to get back into that. Yeah, I I don't know. I found a way. I like a lot of different things. I, I think that I I like filmmaking. Um, I've I I produced a documentary of a couple of years ago that ended up uh, winning some awards at uh, the film festivals, best picture in a couple of them. And um, I have found a way. I also love teaching. I like I like helping people get what they want. And I, I think that that's a a really noble way to earn a living, which is the business that I get to be involved in every day, which is teaching people what I know and helping people get where they want to go. And, uh, and one of the things that I've found, I've found a way to kind of dovetail the things that I love to do with 
um, with the things that I'm really good at. So I, now I, I teach people, but I also try and do some really creative stuff with the videos that I produce so I can incorporate in that, that love for filmmaking and that love for storytelling. And it's not just me standing at a whiteboard, just drawing stuff out. I, I really try and do those things and, and have found a way to live my life um, on my own terms. And that, that, as weird as that sounds, it's, it, it really is. I think it's, I think it should be the goal for all of us that, that we get to wake up and do what we love on our terms um, and with, without having to consider, uh, hopefully within reason, what, what it costs to do that. Because financially, we have enough money to provide for ourselves. And, and certainly in your industry, there's, there's a lot to be said there for doing what you're doing right now. Because a lot of in the financial industry, having worked with a, 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 quite a few financial planners and investment advisors in my life, uh, one of the big things is they don't, they're not buying your facts and figures. They're not buying, you know, your portfolio that you're going to slap together for them because most of them don't know enough about it. They're really buying you. And so the better job you do of creating a strong personal brand for, for your message and for who you are, uh, the less buyer resistance, the more people will come to you, the more people refer their friends, uh, and the deeper that bond, which means should mean less turnover of them jumping ship when times go bad to go to somebody else who's promising them, you know, a couple extra percentage points a year. Absolutely. You know, I had my mentor one time tell me that if you do what you love, you never really have to work a day in your life. So... Well, that would be, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, it's funny because if you read the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss's book, he, he doesn't actually say anywhere in there that he can work four hours a week. I mean, that's utterly, utter nonsense, you know, ask him if he worked four hours a week promoting the four hour a week book. No, he spent more than four hours a week on radio programs doing interviews. But what he, what he meant by that was I only have to do about four hours a week of actual stuff I don't like doing. The rest of the time, I'm working on things that I enjoy, and so that I don't count that as work. And I, I, I would probably do the same. I, I think that I would, I can go periods of time, like when I was between contracts working overseas, I, I, I could go maybe three months, four months without anything to do. And then after that, I just, I was going nuts. I was, I was calling up my friends and saying, hey, can I come help you out on the, you know, out on the construction site? Like literally what, can I go volunteer my time somewhere? Because I have to, I have to feel like I'm moving forward. And I think most people feel that way. I think work is something that gives us purpose and value. Uh, and it's even better when we get to choose what that is and we really find joy in that work. And so I, I, have, I, I think that's something that a lot of people don't get to do. Um, but they can if they choose to. And so that's a big part of my message is let's find a way for you to do what you really love doing and make at least, at least replace your income, but probably do a lot better than that. And, uh, and it's, it's fun to see that happen with people. You know, so many people have this mentality of just waking up and going to work nine to five and then coming home and watching TV and doing the same thing over and over again, five days a week. And, I, uh, I left that life years ago, and I, I can't even imagine going back to that. But so many people are trapped there. And I wonder if, I, I hope that the world is changing where people actually will, will catch on to this wave of entrepreneurship and, and really going after the things they want instead of the things they feel like they need to do. Mm. 
Well, I, I think it's dangerous. So I, I ask people to envision a scenario. I said, let's say that you are an entrepreneur, whether you are or not, just let's imagine that you are. And let's say you're doing pretty good. Like you, you work eight, 10 hours a day. You're making really great money and family's taken care of, mortgages paid paid every month. You know, you got nice cars in the driveway. You're able to take a decent vacation with the family. Like life is good, but you only have one client, just one. How safe would you feel with your business, right? Would you sleep, put your head down every night, just, you know, it's just sure as rain that when you wake up in the morning, everything's going to be fine. Or would you be waking up at 3 a.m. in a cold sweat every single night worried, what happens if I lose this one client, right? Well, for every American, every person out there who works a nine to five job, that's what you're doing. You essentially have one client. You have one person from which you derive all of your income. That is a very, very, very dangerous place to be. Uh, you know, as entrepreneurs, we want to have lots of clients and we want to have our, our risk spread so that if a few of them leave, it's okay because we can get a few other ones and we don't use, lose all of our income if one guy tells us that he doesn't want to work with us anymore. And if you're, if you're an, uh, an employee at a company, you know, it doesn't have to be your fault. You can be a great employee. You can be a valuable asset to that company. But if that company doesn't manage itself well, for whatever reason, uh, for no fault of yours, you might show up one day and realize, hey, I don't have a job anymore. And that's what happened to like 30 million people earlier this year. And that's a scary place to be. And, and what I've been, the message that I've been preaching for the last couple of years is pretty simple. It's just like, don't, don't be that person. You know, find a way to increase your skill set, to diversify the, the work that you do and, and what you can do. And then most importantly, start working to control the source of your income. Start moving over into that entrepreneurial space where you can have many, many clients. Uh, and so you don't have to rely on one source of income to feed your family. Yeah, I learned a couple of years ago that uh, you can't just jump into entrepreneurship, though. You can't just quit your job and say, I'm no. going to go ahead and do this. You know, one client is definitely scary. So when I started, I started on a part-time basis. I was pulled from my nine to five. I actually started my career in heating and air conditioning. Oh, yeah? So, like like as, as an entrepreneur or just as a, as a regular job? No, I was a regular job. I was a skilled okay. technician, uh, but I was mainly independent. I drove a service van around the, the city and... I uh, didn't really have a boss harping down my back all day yeah. long because he just gave me a, a uh, I had a pager at the time. Yeah. Just tell me where the next call I had to go to. And so while I was in a, somebody's house, you know, I was the expert. I was the person who told them what needed to be fixed or what needed to be replaced. And I learned a little bit about sales, right? We'd always have to upsell the equipment, mm -hmm. but uh, I didn't have a boss. And I tried doing the corporate thing in between that and what I'm doing now. And that lasted about 18 months. I said, I can't do this corporate thing anymore. I can't have a boss. I need to be out there either independent on my own or just, you know, <laughs> doing something where people aren't telling me what to do all day long. Yeah. Well, one thing about our parents, because you, you and I are probably about this. How old are you? I'm, I'm going to be 43 next month. Okay. Yeah. So you and I are the same age. So, you know, I don't know if you had this problem, but when I was growing up, I had lots of different jobs. And even after I got out of the Marine Corps and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I think over, uh, over that period, I had something like nine or 10 different jobs. And I can remember my mom at the time and as a kid always telling me, you know what, it doesn't look good if you just bounce from one job to another, you know, you don't build up any workers, you know, no one's going to want to hire you because you're not going to stick around. And I, I think that that is, I love my mom to death, she's a wonderful woman, but I, that is the worst advice I think that you could give somebody because it, it's, it's important for you to try a bunch of different stuff. 
so that you don't wake up at 40 or 50 and, and realize, dude, my, I, I hate what I do. And I've, I've done it for so long. I've wasted so many years doing work that I don't find fulfilling for people that I don't enjoy working for. You know, wouldn't it have been better to go and try four or five or six different things until you really found that pocket that, man, I really love doing this. I, I, would, I could do this for the rest of my life. Um, I, I don't think we should be telling our children, don't try a lot of stuff. In fact, I would tell them, delay going to college, delay, you know, get into the workforce, try a bunch of different things, go and work as a, as an unpaid intern, uh, you know, and, and, and spend out a few hours a day involved in the, in the business that you think you might want to be in. And then only after you know that you have that decision, then look at college and say, well, is it necessary? Do I have to go to college to be able to do this work? Uh, in some cases, you do because you need licensing. If you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Uh, but in many cases, you don't. You don't, need an, you don't need that degree. You can just simply step into that role and the work experience that you've been building up over the two or three years that you were bouncing around is going to be more than adequate for you to have a solid footing to launch from. So, I, I am uh, I, I like you. I did a lot of different stuff and I'm so glad I did because I found a lot of stuff that I really loved doing and stuff I don't ever want to do again. And I, I don't, I would never have known that if I'd have just like, if I'd have been worried about what some future employer was going to think of my work history. Right. It's, uh, it's funny you mentioned college because that was my job in corporate America. Right after hitting an air conditioning, I actually worked for a university as a recruiter. And so I was lucky they actually paid for my degree. So I was taking part-time classes after working all day, trying to recruit people to go to college. And I was in that industry for about 18 months, just trying to sell an $80,000 a year college degree to somebody. And our territory, I remember, was in the South United States. So like Alabama and Mississippi. And these people, most of them, and I'm not trying to stereotype an entire region of the country, but most of them don't know what it's like to make $150,000 a year. Yeah, so, yeah. They're working, you know, $30,000, $50,000 a year jobs, and I'm trying to sell them how an $80,000 degree will get them. And it only took me 18 months to realize, I don't know if this is the right path to go for many of these people that they're trying to have me sell to them. Yeah, they'd be far better going and getting a, getting a, 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 a whatever it is, like a, a vocational certification to be a welder. And not only would it be more probably in line with who they are and, and their, and their, you know, their proficiencies, but it, those jobs will pay a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand $150,000 a year. You don't, you don't have to get a white collar job anymore to make six figures. In fact, many of those more traditional jobs are, uh, are, are pay far better. And when you consider the fact that, Hey, I would have to pay uh, 80,000, it's called 50,000. I think the average cost of college today is about a hundred and $40,000 a year or 140,000 total. If you consider that when you're making your decision, uh, all of a sudden, man, I, man, these blue collar jobs seem, seem a lot better, a lot, a lot better idea. And then the last thing is, well, what if I owned the company that did the welding? Well, that's even better. We'll get yourself three or four or five welders that work for you. You know, you pay them a hundred grand a year and you make a million. That's, that's, I mean, that's the ultimate goal. That's what we want to push for. So that's my, my job, I think is in terms of the podcast and what I've done there is really to just to try and open up people's minds to this idea, to kind of reframe the way we look at freedom, the way we look at work, uh, the, the way we look at security, because I don't think most Americans are very secure. 
I think most of them have a good paying job uh, or did before the coronavirus, but I, I don't think many of them are very financially secure. And if they're not, that means they're not free either. And so I want to help reframe that so we can get people on a path where they really can have uh, financial independence and true freedom. Yeah, there's a cliche that many entrepreneurs know about job. J-O-B stands for just over broke, right? Or I've heard it said, jail of the brokenhearted. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you always talk about increasing your human capital. And I think that's obviously important for the future going forward. But as a defensive strategy, the more things you know, like I know heating and air conditioning. I know I never want to go back to it. But if I had to, I can't. I can get a job in a heartbeat. I had 10 years experience in that. I, I, I'm not sure how long I want to stay in financial services, but I know I, I can sell insurance if I had to, right? Yeah. I, I know I can do the corporate job. So now it's just about, okay, what am I learning next? What am I growing into that I can, I can control the source of my income? I'm throwing out all your platitudes here, Jason. But no, the- yeah, please do. Yeah, steal them all. It's, it's, I mean, I, I love it. I love hearing that stuff um, talked about and you, those, those terms used because it means that people are, that message is resonating with people. Um, and, you know, people, a lot of people ask me, well, okay, Jason, I buy into this concept, but what am I supposed to learn? Like, okay, I'm going to go get some skills. What skills should I have? The most valuable skill I think any, any human being can possess is the ability to effectively communicate a sales message. Uh, and so I'm, I've got a big copywriting clinic that I'm holding at the beginning in, uh, in next month in November. And uh, we actually just started taking um, seats for that today. But it's, uh, that's one thing. I think it's the most valuable skill any entrepreneur can possess is the ability to effectively message what he has and why you should have it. Uh, and so if you are sitting around wondering, thinking, well, yeah, I need to do something. I need to kind of start my own thing. What should I be learning? Uh, Sales and marketing are the two most important things. If you can learn to do those, not only will your company thrive, that your entrepreneurial uh, endeavors will thrive, but in the event that you have to go work for somebody else, I don't care how bad the economy is, there will always be people hiring sales folks because that's the, a lot of entrepreneurs don't know how to do that surprisingly. They, they are really, really good at like managing a business, really good at product stuff, uh, but they are not good at selling. Um, I'm the exact opposite. I, I could, I'm a pretty good salesman. Uh, not too good at like man, managing the details. You, you and I talked about Amy before the show. Amy manages all that for my company. She's the, she's the CEO really of the company. She manages the stuff. I am the creative mind. I am the, you know, the content creator. I, I do all of the, I do the really valuable stuff, which is finding clients, converting them, and then teaching them the skill sets. That's, that's the stuff that nobody else can do. Um, that's my rare and specialized skill. And you have a rare and specialized skill. And if you don't know what that is, or you, you look at your life and you're like, dude, I work at McDonald's, I'm the fry guy, there ain't nothing special about what I do, then you need to go learn how to sell because it is going to make you an invaluable asset uh, for the rest of your life, no matter who you work for. And it's going to serve you well if you ever do decide to go into business for yourself. Yeah. So I had a friend one time told me that you make more money with your mouth than with your hands. That was when I was transitioning from blue collar type of work to, to more sales oriented. And uh, talking about school, I, I have a, uh, a bachelor's degree in uh, sales and marketing. And Jason, I got to tell you, I learned more in the field of just selling and from listening to people like you than I ever did in school. 
it's really hard to it's really hard to teach selling like in in a in an office environment. I, I've always said the best the best copywriters I've ever known all sold door to door. Some of the best sales guys, probably the best sales guys I've ever met, all took time selling door to door. The first guy I knew who ever did that, other than me. Um, who'd been, who ended up being successful was a guy I studied real estate under. His name was Andrew Neisler. He's a real estate agent in Kansas City. Phenomenal guy. If any of you live in the Kansas City area, you need to sell a house. Andrew's your guy. He sold uh, you know, two or three houses for me. Um, but he sold encyclopedias door to door back when that, they did that. Uh, and, uh, and I remember hearing him say that just, and he was a one of just a phenomenal sales. I just, I, I learned so much from him from a sales perspective, but um, I find that most of the people who really know it have sold door to door. And I, the only thing I can figure is, is that's the most, that's the roughest environment that any salesperson can be in. Knocking on a door at seven o'clock at night, interrupting an evening home alone, and then being able to convert that person into a sale. That, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And um, it works if you know, if you, if you learn the process of selling. And once you've learned that, once you realize, hey, this is where my reader is at when I'm writing a sales copy. This is where my viewer is at when I'm doing a video that I'm putting online. He's not focused on me. He didn't show up asking for me to sell him something. You know, he's busy doing his own life. So, what do I got to do to get this guy's attention and, and, and really get him focused on me and what I have to offer? The best people in the world who can do that are people who at one point sold door to door. Yeah, I actually had the privilege of never selling door to door. But uh, my mentor, when I was learning sales uh, in the financial world, we'd always uh, read Tom Hopkins. He had, yeah. uh, he had the Master Academy of Closing, and he started his career in real estate doing door-to-door. And I remember learning in the book that uh, Tom Hopkins, when he was uh, a rookie, there you go. I just pulled the How to Master the Art of Selling, the Tommy Hopkins book is uh, on my shelf. It's one, of the, it's one of the oldest books that I had. It's one of the first sales books I ever read. Yeah, uh, yeah to- Tommy was the, was the man when it came to selling for decades. I don't, is he still alive? I'm not sure if he's alive, but I know that uh, my mentor uh, continuously teaches his class. I remember he told a story, uh, the author, Tom Hopkins, said that uh, his mentor dropped him off like in just some random neighborhood and said, you need to walk back to the office. And (laughs) Tom's like, well, what do I do now? Because he was so afraid of selling. So he just said, well, the only thing I got to do is walk two or three miles home. I might as well knock on doors and away. And so that's a crash course in selling. And and so... um, I think selling is not as hard as people make it out to be. I think that. I, that, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm not to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Um, well, everybody, everybody sells, right? If you're married, you're selling something. If you've ever seen a movie at the theater, you're selling something, right? If you tell somebody about your favorite restaurant, all you're doing is, is influencing somebody to make a decision that they may not make on their own. Yeah, it, you're right. And it's, this is what I've always said is because I selling influence, all of that type of stuff I, is, is kind of all comes under the same umbrella. And I said, you know, everybody does this. It's just some people are good at it. Some people aren't. Some people are deliberate about it and some people aren't. But you, you are not, it's not like, oh, you look at these guys who are like doing all these, these crazy sales tactics and you're like, oh, how underhanded and, and terribly manipulative is that? It's like, dude, you do that every day. We do that with our spouses. We do that with our kids. We do it with our coworkers, our bosses. We try and have our voice heard. We try and get people to see our point of view and we try to convince people to do things our way. All we're doing in selling is just learning 
the most effective way to do that. And it works in, in every single scenario. These are, these are life skills that will benefit you, whether you're trying to convince people to come over to your political point of view or whether you're trying to get people to get your kids to brush their teeth at night. They, they have this long-standing value far beyond the ability just to convince somebody to buy your stuff. Mm-hmm. You have a, a weekly coaching session that I've been watching for a while and I think it's great. It's part of the Nine Figure Network. And uh, obviously, last night, you and I connected. I, I've been watching you. I haven't really participated too much just because uh, I'm always hustling, always doing something. But I was asking you, oh, I was not really asking a question, but I, w- I was making a statement last night about the difference between selling online versus selling in person. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I've been trying to learn this year exclusively. Uh, I spent majority of 2020 just locked inside learning all the technology about how to do editing, how to do podcasting. How to, now it's time for me to actually go out there and, and influence and, and use your skill set to, to really influence people in this capacity, on a webinar, in a podcast, online, something like that. And I, I really think that uh, I appreciate the classes that you've been given. I, I can see some people at different levels coming in, and uh, you just have a wealth of experience that you bring to the table. Well, I, I, yeah, and it's nice because I – recently, so the Freedom Accelerator program that you're talking about is kind of like the entry level thing. And I, you know, I give you some training and stuff that we, that I, you know, I add to over time, but um, mainly what we do is get together every week and and we do kind of a Q and A session. A lot of people who've come through my knowledge revolution program or my podcast domination course are in there and they're talking about how do I get recognized? How do I get known now that I've, I've got the technical expertise, which people put way too much value on the, on that technical stuff. Like what microphone should I buy? And you know, how long should my intro be? And you know, when, what day should I release my podcast on? If you're doing podcasting, it's like, that stuff really isn't that big a deal. That's kind of technical little stuff. What is really important is, okay, now that I've created this thing, how do I get people to listen and how do I get them to stay? That's the real thing that everybody needs to be focused on. And that's the thing that you're talking about right now with your business is, okay, I used to go in and sit down in a a group and pitch a group. And now I can't, I don't have them in a closed space where they can't leave. I, I don't have a, uh, a an, I, it's like, unless you're telling, selling timeshares, right? Or something like that. You don't have a captive audience. They can literally get up and walk away anytime they want to. And so we have to be that much better as, as salespeople and that much better as marketers to capture somebody's attention and hold that attention so that they want to stay, that they're getting enough value, they're learning enough, it's interesting enough uh, and unique enough that they want to stay and see how the story is. Now, there's lots of things that we can do and ways that we can kind of manufacture this. One of the ones that I teach uh, to my students is called the open loop. Uh, it's it's where you start a story at the beginning and you say i'm going to uh, i'm going to get back to that i'm going to tell you how that story ends in just a minute but for now, I want to tell you about this other thing. Um, and if you watch most of the videos that I do, there'll be a series of opening and closing of loops where I will say, um, you know, I'll say, hey, if you're wondering, like I think in the video series I just did, I say, well, if you're wondering how this is done in practice, don't worry, I've got some great examples for you in just a minute. So that's, that's a way of opening a loop that I then close later on in the video. And our, our brains naturally want to, fi- want to close those loops. And so it holds people's attention. That's, it's, it's not an underhanded thing to do. It's just, hey, I understand how to grab somebody's attention and hold it. And I'm being deliberate about it rather than just like, you know, having a natural skill for it. And, and I think that when we do that, we have a much, it's much more effective when we sell online. Yeah, I like that, the, uh, the open loop concept. 
I've actually taken uh, a couple of your classes. My favorite has been the knowledge revolution so far, Jason. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I, I took that. And uh, like I said, I, I didn't know much about anything. I'm, I'm not concerned about what kind of microphones I have. I mean, you can see I don't have the most expensive thing or anything like that, but it was really just about understanding the process. And so in that yeah. class, you know, one of the things I really took away was th this idea of, uh, you know, having a goal in mind, having, knowing what we want to do, even if though we may not know exactly what the outcome is, but at least having a, a, a sense of direction. I'm still kind of struggling with that myself. I tell people that I don't necessarily know my niche here in, uh, mm -hmm. online, but you, I'm sure you're familiar with this, with the financial industry. It's really hard to be selling financial concepts on the air, like broadcasting. Yeah. There's all kinds of compliance and stuff like that. And so I'm taking my, my knowledge and interest in libertarianism and uh, economics and, and finance, which is why I think I, uh, I relate to you a lot because we have a lot of the same interests. But uh, yeah. having that, you, you said in your class, perfection is not the aim, but adequate is where we need to be looking for. Yeah. And the reason I say that is it's not because I don't think we should strive to make our, our content as good as we can, is that I find one of the problems with new entrepreneurs is they let great be the enemy of good. And they're so worried about creating this, this perfect thing that they miss getting to market. So you know it from being an, an entrepreneur yourself and, and any entrepreneur will tell you like the biggest killer of dreams as an entrepreneur is a lack of adequate cash flow. And so from the very beginning, I tell my clients, listen, you have one goal. That's to find somebody who wants what you got and sell it to them. Like that is, that is the goal. So what do we have to do? Well, we got to create the thing first, whatever it is. Like maybe you already have that. Maybe it's consulting work that you do or some sort of training course that you put together. I don't care. You get that created. And no, I don't mean some two month long, like eight week program that's going to take you six months to put together um, for your first go. No, find something that you can create in like two days that you could charge 20 or $30 for and that you think your market would want. So you spend two days creating that and then you create some content videos to put online to start raising your, you know, your awareness for who you are. And then you constantly work to sell that one thing. And what happens when we do that, when we say, okay, this is good enough. I might have this whole like big program in my mind of life changing stuff that I'm going to create for people. But right now I'm not going to go for that. I, I'm going to do something that's adequate to bring a product to market so I can learn how to sell. I can learn what the objections will be to this product. Oh, maybe they don't like that. Or maybe they didn't like the way I presented it. Uh, there's lots of ways to construct an offer around your product. Uh, but we have to do some testing for that to happen first. And so, when I, when I talk to them, it's like, listen, don't get in your own way. Don't, don't let perfection get in the way of you making a sale because that's what's going to kill your company. What's going to kill your emotions, what's going to kill your, uh, your drive and ambition and your excitement about this new thing that you're starting is time. If it goes three months, six months, and you still haven't made a sale, you're still like working in the afternoons to kind of create the perfect course. And then by the time you get done six months later, well, you're, I mean, your, your skills are so much better now than they were six months ago. So now you feel like you got to go back to the beginning and re-record the first series of trainings because, you know, those aren't as good. It's like, dude, you're going to die on the vine. You, you're, this dream is going to die. And so get to market, start putting some money in your pocket. There is something to be said, a, a light switch goes off. I remember when I made my first dollar online. It was life-changing. I actually only made about 20, I, the first 
the first course I ever released was a subscription. I got 10 people to buy it at 250 bucks. So I, well, I made whatever, 2,500 bucks. That was my first foray into online marketing. And, uh, and I was like, dude, people will give me money. Like I created this thing and I offered it to them and they give me money for it. Like it's a complete switch in your mind. And the sooner you can make that switch and be like, dude, people, this really does work. It's not just somebody telling me that it'll work. I'm seeing it in my own life. Once you see that happen, now you get really excited. And, uh, you know, I, I, like I remember the first time I realized how important it was, how important copywriting was to my life because I had this list of people and I hadn't really sold them anything in a couple of months. I hadn't even tried. I'd been working on a bunch of other programs and I, I, I sat down and I wrote a really short sales letter video. And at that time I had to memorize the whole thing. So I sat down in my little office in a t-shirt and I just talked into the camera, this little script that I had written and what I had learned from, you know, my, my, my copywriting studies. And uh, two days later I had made a hundred thousand dollars. And I went over to, uh, this is, this sounds so terrible, but I went over to my business partner at the time who was in the, the, the room adjacent to me. And I said, I said, Todd, I think we have a printing press. Like, I, I, like I, think I, I think I can extract money at will. All I have to do is write this, write this, write this stuff on paper and, and ask people to buy the stuff and they're going to buy it. Like it, it was a mind bending for me. It's like I have this pool of people that I've assembled that like what I do and literally all I have to do is offer them stuff and they'll pay my bills. I'm like, dude, this is amazing. You don't learn that until you make that first sale. You don't learn that if you're work- worried about being perfect. Uh, and so anyway, yeah, I, I try and force people as quickly as possible into trying to make a sale. Yeah, you can't learn that experience in school either. It's, no. Uh, you have to actually be there. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat, Jason. You have your hot seat for the Freedom Accelerator, and I haven't been on, on that yet, but uh, I'm going to put you on there. All right, man. Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, mindset, which I think is uh, the hardest thing. My mentor told me that the, the hardest thing that anyone will ever do is make that transition from being an employee to being an entrepreneur. And uh, for me, you know, I'll tell you that it's been a growing experience. I'm very confident talking to people. Where I lack in my confidence is getting behind a microphone by myself and just talking. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to get to that point, Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so like for, for 15 years, you always tell your story about how you do this. You know, you weren't as good as you are now when you first started. Yeah, I no, I, position. yeah, people, people look at me and they're like, well, Jason, you're just so calm and there's no, uh, there's not a lot of ums and ahs and stutters and you can just kind of like, just run like, like I just did, like, it's like a 10 minutes of me just talking. Uh, and they say, well, where, where does that come from? how do I get that guy? When I get behind the microphone, I sound like a drunk monkey. And I said, well, listen, man, I started my career in these live trading rooms where I would three hours a day, five days a week, I would sit behind a microphone and I had a headset on and I would talk to a few hundred traders who were all looking at my monitors as I was trading. And I had to fill all the dead air for three solid hours because the second I stopped talking for a few minutes, people would be like, I lost audio. I can't hear anything. What's going on? Because they think that I've just like, I've stopped. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that's, that's how I learned how to do it. So by the time I got behind a microphone in 2014 to start my podcast, I had, I don't know, thousands and thousands of hours behind the microphone, just talking 
And I'm like, oh, I got to do an hour long show? Dude, I won't even take a breath. That's nothing. I can, right. yeah, I can talk for an hour on anything. You pick the subject. Uh, and I've, I learned also by going back and listening to myself. When we first started that podcast, Darren would come in and I'd be listening to yesterday's show while we were prepping for today's show. Mm. And I remember at one point he goes, you must really love the sound of your own voice. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, no, actually, I, I, this, I, this is cringing, cringing to me. Mm. But I said, I, I want to hear myself so I can hear the things that I'm not doing well so I can try and improve upon them the next day so I can be better at what I do. And uh, over time, that I got, I got pretty good at it. And, and you know, even... I mean, I can't tell you how much I hate listening to myself or seeing myself. I actually haven't. I did that show, The Tesla Files, for the History Channel. I haven't seen a single episode. Mm. I can't stand to see myself on television. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm told it's a great show, but I never, never watched it. Uh, so anyway, that's that was how I did it. So yeah, you're gonna suck at something when you start, unless you have like real raw talent. It's just. Some, for some people, selling is a natural thing. They're a people person. They love getting out. They love rubbing elbows. They know everybody. They're, connect, they're natural connectors. I'm not any of those things. I'm terribly introverted. I don't want to go to parties where I don't know people. Like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. But I have found a way, despite my introversions, to, to really be able to reach a large audience. Because for me, doing what we're doing now, me staring into a camera and talking, that to me isn't scary. Doing it on stage with the same number, we got like, you know, 20,000 people a day who listen to our show. Standing on stage in front of 20,000 people in an arena, think about that, in an arena of people, I'd be, I'd be dying. Like, I, I don't even think I could get on the stage. But no big deal talking into the microphone. I, I can, I can, be this person, this, this, I, can, I have this persona, I get to perform uh, in a way that makes me feel comfortable. And I think that that should be the goal of everybody is that, look, it, uh, practice at it. And if you don't like it, then don't do it. You know, find another way because it's, uh, it's, there's far too many ways to reach an audience and to, and to sell than just, uh, you know, than just doing it the way that I do it. Yeah, I actually spent some time going to Toastmasters. That's where I learned how to do public oh, yeah. speaking. And, I've uh, never done it, but I've heard it's like a really great organization. Well, it is. It's great, especially if you, if you want to learn. Because people say that the, the two biggest fears in life are death and speaking in public. And I'm probably the opposite of you. I've never spoken in an arena, but I have spoken in front of a crowd of 1,000, 1,200 people before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody gets nervous to say that you're not nervous doing that. It's going to be a lie. But uh, I feel much more natural, like I said, in person than just talking on the computer. I don't know why it is that way. Yeah. And then I'll listen to my voice over and over again, not because I have an ego, but I want to, I want to learn my dialect. I want to learn my voice inflection and, and learn what I said. And, oh, I probably said it that way. And again, going back to my mentor, he's, he told me a long time ago that even when you're selling, you should record yourself, you know, mm -hmm. maybe ask your client, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to learn my trade a little bit. You know, I appreciate that. You know, I promise I won't sh sell this. I won't share this with anyone, but would you mind if I just record our, our conversation here? Yeah. And that's no, I think it's a great helpful. idea. No, I've, if you listen to the early days of the show, uh, that when I was doing it, I mean, this is, it was only like, when we started the show, 2014, so yeah, six years ago or so, uh, almost, almost six years. 
if you listen to me back then, I had a much more nasally voice than I have now. It's, uh, and that was something that I worked really hard to correct. I didn't, I spoke from my throat, not from my stomach. Mm. And uh, it showed, it came across. And, and not only that, but my, my throat would get really tired. Like my, my voice would get really tired. And so by doing it, by working on that over time, I've gotten rid of a lot of that. And hopefully now you don't hear, you don't hear a lot of nasally nasalness in my, uh, in my voice, but that comes with time and attention. You can't be afraid to go in and look at what you do and try and improve upon it. You can't worry, like I said, about, about being perceived as arrogant or, uh, or, or I, I guess self-involved, loving to hear the sound of your own voice. No, you're, you're improving your craft mm-hmm. and that's critical no matter what industry you're in. Right. Jason, I, I love uh, the amount of work you do. You're, you're, you're a working machine. I, wish, I only wish I could do half the amount of content you produce out there. But, uh, I still have uh, other sources of income that I'm trying to balance and get out of. But uh, I, uh, I'm looking forward to actually seeing your copyright classes. That, you know, like I said, I love the knowledge revolution. And uh, I watch your, your weekly show on the Freedom Accelerator. Yeah. Um, but well, one, one thing I've, uh, I've really liked about having this kind of loose association with you is just I've been able to to meet some great people. Yeah. You you put out a telegraph a telegraph group called the Winners List. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but I've actually interviewed five people from that group on this podcast. Really? So it's been it's been a blast just getting to know people all over the country. I just think it's so important that we make con- connections. There's a great book out. I have not even finished it yet, but it's uh, written by a guy named Dan Sullivan. It's actually not written by Dan, but it's Dan's ideas. It's written by somebody who is a follower of his uh, in, in cooperation with Dan, with Dan's approval. And the name of the book is Who Not How. And this is something that I struggle with. And I realized it, it became really apparent to me when I, when I started reading the book. I'd always known it was a problem, but I tend to do up more than I should. So when the difference, what who not how means is instead of asking, how do I do something? We ask who could help me do this? Uh, who could be a, who, who could I be a who for and who could be a who for me? So he talks about, um, when they wanted to put the book out and he ended up, he didn't know anything about how to find another editor. And so what he did was he went and found a guy who does that. He helps people get their books published. And that guy, because Dan Sullivan is a huge name in the, in the business uh, consulting world, was anxious to help Dan Sullivan get this book out because he knew that Dan could bring a lot of business to him. So he helped Dan find a publisher for the book. And in turn, Dan promoted him on the show and or promoted him in the book and also promoted, uh, promotes him to his clients. So that's kind of a who-who relationship that didn't cost anybody any money. But we, I don't do that enough with my business. You talk about all the work I do. I, am, I, am, I do three things and only three things. I create content, I sell content, and I deliver content. Those are the only three things that make me money, and that's what I spend all day, every day doing. Mm-hmm. But I need people in my life who are who's. I need to be able to turn over the video editing. I need to be able to turn over the, you know, the, the back-end management and support, the web building, and then the funnel designs. And all that stuff is stuff that I shouldn't be touching. And Amy and Matt are great resources for me in terms of them being able to handle a lot of that. But I need to be doing a better job of finding specialized people to fill those roles because 
I will never do it as well as them. Uh, that's their craft. That's where, that's what they love to do. I, I hate managing my advertising campaigns. I hate it. I, I want to create the content and then send it to somebody else to have it edited and to have it put online and to have all that stuff running in the background. Uh, right now I do most of that myself. Uh, but it would be far better for me if I passed that off to someone else. I am just, that's one of the deficiencies that I have as a, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur is that I, I like having control over all of it and, and having, and doing all of it. The problem is, is I can't, I run out of time, mm -hmm. but yeah. I've heard somebody say that uh, most people who are self-made millionaires really are not self-made millionaires. They, they actually have a team of dedicated, loyal people working for them or with them. And so I, yeah. struggle, I struggle with the same things that you're talking about, uh, you know, just learning all this technology, learning what to do next, how to do next. But uh, uh, one of my mentors said something, he said, um, know what you know, know somebody who knows what you don't know, and that's all you need to know. And I've taken that to, to, uh, to heart, you know, yeah. going to people who, who don't, who know what I don't know that they can help me. Well, I think uh, here's the thing. I, of course, nobody, no, no man is an Island. No, nobody comes to their wealth on their own. I, I think the difference between, uh, the million, the guy who becomes a millionaire and, or makes a million dollars a year in personal income. And the person who makes say a hundred thousand is that the person who makes a million figured out that the most valuable use of his money is buying somebody else's time. Mm. See, there are very few people in this world who are going to do what we do. I can preach this message night and day. You need to control the source of your income. You need to be in business for yourself. You need to be a net buyer of time instead of a net seller of time. And 98% of the population is never going to take action on that. Or 98% of the people who hear that message won't take action. Uh, and that's okay because I need a lot, I need a lot of people to sell me their time because I only have 24 hours in a day. If I want to get more than 24 hours worth of work done in a day, I need to have other people working for me. I need to be buying their time and people are re will readily sell it to you at severe discounts in many cases. Uh, and so that is when you realize that the most valuable use of the money that you're making is not to in increase your lifestyle or to increase your quality of life in the beginning, but rather to buy other people's time. If you can delay your own gratification for even a short period and start buying other people's time, what you're going to find is that you will have more money than you know what to do with. You'll have so much money, you won't know where all of it is. <laughs> and that's, uh, we should all be so lucky that we need somebody just to tell us where all our money is. Uh, that's, that's a, you know, life goal is flying around on a private jet while somebody tells me where all my money is. Uh, and too many people will never see that, not because they lack the ability or the intelligence, but because they don't realize what the money is supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You spend a lot of time talking about, uh, about money and obviously being in the financial world, that's, that was what my job was figuring out what people think about money because, uh, there's an author T Harv Ecker talks yeah. about the, the millionaire mindset, right? You know, how mm -hmm. we think about money is the outcome we're going to get with it. And I remember that before you've ever said this on your podcast, I don't know when you started saying this, but my mentor told me one time, it's like, the more wealth you have, the more freedom you have. And, you know, I didn't know that at the time until you reconfirmed what he said on your podcast. And it's true. The more wealth you have, the more freedom you have. And, and I'm really all about that. So I, when I look at money, I look at it as just a tool. It just enhances the character that you already are. 
Yes. If, you're, if you're a jerk and you have a lot of money, then you're just a big jerk with a lot of money. But if you're a humble, uh, nice, caring, loyal person, all the different great things you can say about somebody, having some extra money will just enhance those things too. And then, of course, give you freedom. Yeah, yeah. Money is amoral. That's what people need to understand is that if, you are, if, if, if you're an a-hole when you're broke, um, you're still an a-hole when you get rich. It's just now you have power and influence, right? See, now we, now we have more power, more influence because we got more money. So, you, they have a greater impact on society because they're awful people. By that same contrast, if you are a good and honest person and, and you, uh, you know, you're trying to do right by your customers and, uh, and live a, an ethical life uh, and run an ethical business and you become very, very wealthy, you don't suddenly become a terrible person. You just become a, a decent person who now has more power and influence because they have more money. And so, my, my understanding this to be true, I just make a simple statement. Dude, we ought to have, you ought to want more wealth more power, more influence in your life. And frankly, we need more good, honest, decent people with more power and control. And so, you have a duty, a responsibility to, uh, to yourself, to society as a whole, and to, uh, and to your family to generate as much wealth as humanly possible so that you can have the most amount of control over yourself and over the decisions that are made that affect you as possible. Great. Let's spend a few minutes talking a little bit about your book, The Nomadic Wealth Formula. I have it right here, Jason. I appreciate it. I got your signature right in the front, so I get to keep that. <laughs> nice. Thank you, man. I appreciate you t buying the book. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I really resonate with this concept of nomadic wealth. I, I've been kind of struggling with where I want to do with my career because I, I definitely believe everything that you're talking about, you know, creating wealth, creating an income stream and making myself free. Part of my personality is I'm very ambitious. I want to go out there and work, make a lot of money. Part of my personality is I just want to get away from everybody. I just want to kind of live on the land. And so I've been learning a little bit about this uh, philosophy known as agorism, you know, kind of getting mm -hmm. counterculture, getting out of the system a little bit. And so it's a toss up for me. It's like, okay, do I want to be in this industry where I'm just surrounded by people, influencing, making tons of money, or do I really want to be more on my own? But I like this nomadic wealth formula because in that book, you teach that because they're changing the economy, you know, being able to get up and go and doing whatever you want and still being able to generate income and still be able to create a lifestyle you want where you're not tied down to any one particular place. Yeah, I remember. So, it's important that I think your audience knows what I mean by nomadic wealth. I don't mean that you don't have a home and that you're just wandering around the world because a lot of people, that's not at all interesting to them. They, they like the idea of having land, having a space and having a home and being surrounded by people that they love. They don't want to live as a Bedouin, right? Like wandering through the desert. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that with the changing economy and technology and, and basically what Americans are doing more and more of, you can now do that from anywhere. And if you organize your business correctly, you can have a business that can move with you if you want to go places. So, see, I'm, I'm terribly fickle. I, I realized this when I was in high school and I was in a psychology class and they had us draw a picture of us in, in our perfect environment. I can't remember how we, ha how we worded it, but I ended up drawing myself um, in a city with a, like a mountain range in the background, snow-capped mountain range in the background. And he walked over and he started analyzing it. And he's like, so I get the feeling that you 
kind of feel torn, that you really love the hustle and bustle of a big city, but you also like outdoors and you, you, are, you feel drawn to the outdoors. I said, that's exactly how I feel. Like, that's amazing. And it's true. I'm terribly fickle. I love being in the city where stuff's going on and every weekend there's some sort of festival or, or some sort of like outdoor movie that they're doing that the city's doing. LA is an amazing place for that. But I also hate people. Like, I just, I don't want to be around. I'm introverted. I don't, I, it's, I, every time I get behind the wheel of a car in Los Angeles, I want to slit somebody's throat because <laughs> the traffic is awful out here. And so I find myself constantly going to Nancy and my fiance and saying, well, hey, let's get out of town. What, what, what do we go to Big Bear? You know, maybe we, let's, let's go out to Palm Springs and rent a house and let's just hang out there because Palm Springs is like this lazy little town where people go to retire. And, uh, and so we do a lot of that. And the great thing about my business is I can do that. I can go to Palm Springs or we can go to Big Bear and I can still work. She can still work. Uh, I get to go as my wants change, as my desires change. It's really easy for me to change my lifestyle. Most people don't have that freedom. They don't have the financial means to be able to do that. They don't have the, they don't have the ability to take off work that often. They, you know, they don't, their business is fixed. Even if they're entrepreneurs, they got like a brick and mortar and they can't get away from it. There are lots of reasons why uh, they don't have the same freedoms I do. Even people who make a lot more money than me often don't have the same freedoms that I have. And so what I try and teach in the book is I try and get people to rethink what it means to be free first and foremost. And then how do we make the income that we have, the wealth that we accumulate nomadic to the point that, hey, if for whatever reason I need to leave where I'm at or I want to leave, that's a really easy process for me because the business is going to transfer with me and I'm not going to lose any revenue. So that's, that's kind of the way I look, talk about the book. And then I, I talk about my business, which is in the information space where I, uh, I, I sell the knowledge that I've accumulated over the years to people. And I think that is just hands down one of the best businesses one can start if, they're, if they have very little money, very little time, uh, but they really want to make a go of it because it's a, it's a great business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's uh, let's take a minute talking about different types of businesses. You you mentioned one of your classes. The uh, I think that there was three or four different recession-proof type of industries to get into. Yeah, so there there are, and I when I say recession-proof, I don't mean that they don't suffer during recessions. What I mean is people tend to spend money on those areas regardless of whether it's good times or bad times. So in really good times, they spend really frivolously, and in bad times, they they still spend, maybe just not as much. So that would be like health and beauty, uh, and and fitness, right? People will always want to try and be in shape. They'll always want to try and look beautiful and attractive. So they'll still people still buy lipstick and and makeup in recessions. Uh, you know, another one is uh, what I call like, um, like the, the, the vices niche, gambling, alcohol, those types of things. People will still buy alcohol even in the Great Depression. They're, they're, even, even, when there's a, even when they're not supposed to buy alcohol, they'll still do it. So, that is going to be a good industry no matter whether it's rain or shine. Um, another one is, is, is make money type of businesses. So, uh, consulting work where you help people, um, get more sales, where you help people uh, improve their, the way their company functions and brings in more revenue. Uh, there's an opportunity niche, which is all, seems to always do well and tends to even do better in recession than it does in good times. And that's the, uh, that's the old, Hey, make $4,000 a day from your kitchen sort of like pitches. 
prices. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those typically aren't very good offers, but they, they sell well, right? So you can sell to opportunity seekers. Those are some of the, I, think, I can't remember if there's four or five of them. I, I have them written down somewhere. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but those are the, those are the ones that if you're, if you're kind of like trying to figure out, well, see if any of your interests lie in one of those areas. And if so, that might be a good area to move into. Yeah, I spent about 12 years of my life uh, inside a multi-level marketing type of businesses. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the financial services industry, I, mean, I, I could get paid as a general consultant and agent. I can, I can sell an investment idea or strategy. Or if I wanted to, I have the, the privilege of building a team of people, right? And so in that type of business, multi-level marketing, uh, you know, I'm always looking for people who want more than what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who wants to become an entrepreneur, but they're afraid to let go of that day job, right? And we talked about how that's not a good strategy anyway. So I've always liked that. But now as I continue to learn from you and just look at the path my career has been on, I'm trying to transition out of that multi-level marketing more into creating my own thing, like having mm-hmm. inf- information. So what I'm trying to do is meld everything I've learned over the years and offer something that's unique, something that I've created that's not just a copy of you know, some other successful company out there. Well, and I think multi-level gets a really bad rap. Uh, I, I was in a multi-level market. It was one of the first companies I tried to start on my first foray into entrepreneurism was uh, selling Monavi, which was, uh, it was when the acai berry was still real, like really big and nobody knew much about it. They were creating these wine bottles full of acai juice and, and they were marketing it in a multi-level marketing company. Uh, I learned so much about, because what multi-level marketing is basically like, hey, we're going to give you a franchise and your only job is to go out and sell this stuff, sell people on the franchise, sell people. So your whole job is learning how to sell is really what it is. Mm-hmm. And it, it teaches you a lot about what it takes to run a business and to be effective at it and to, you know, to sit down and, and, to, and also leadership. Because once you start getting some people under you now, you know, your job is to motivate them and help them. And so you learn a little bit about that as well. A lot of really great things you learn out of multi-level. Now, you're probably not going to make any money, right? So you, but you're not going to spend a lot of, to get into it either. I mean, I don't know what other business you can get into where for typically a few hundred dollars, you can be up and running and then it costs a few hundred dollars a month for you to buy whatever stuff it is that you're selling uh, to keep whatever you're, you know, like your, to keep your level where it needs to be, right? So you're talking about a few hundred bucks a month for you to learn how to run your own business. Yeah, even if you make no money, which most of them don't, the knowledge itself and the price you pay for that knowledge is so low, it's, it's hard to tell people that it's not a good idea to try. Uh, now, I wouldn't want to stay there. I would, I would go into it. If I was doing it again now, I would go into it knowing the reasons I was getting involved and be like, okay, I, I don't plan on making any money. Let's just see how much I can sell, but I probably won't make a penny off this. But I want to learn how selling works. I want to learn how a business, uh, running a business works so that then I can move over into something else like you're saying. Yeah, I think that's what most people who promote that need to start out with that type of thing. Like, look, this is a great place where you're going to learn how to do business, how to work with a team, how to understand the principles behind entrepreneurship, but don't don't think that you're going to be a millionaire overnight, right? Like anything, it's, yeah. just, it's not going to be like that. Well, because they, they have good products. I mean, I, I so my, my fiance, Nancy, she goes to a, like a, a really expensive, like 
skin doctor and she gets like this, this really expensive face cream and stuff that costs like 400 bucks every 90 days. And uh, I buy my stuff from a girl who sells it through multi-level marketing. It's Rodan and Fields and it costs about the same amount. I get like, you know, like this four-step process that I put on my face every night and every morning. And it costs me probably, probably $300 a quarter or something. For so almost the same price, and the stuff's amazing. Like I'm not switching. I'll gladly pay it. It's it's the best facial scrub and like cleanser that I've ever used, and so it's it's not like I think for a long time it was oh it's Amway. So I'm going to sell a bunch of like a million little garbage products and white label a bunch of stuff that you can go buy, and and then I'm going to force you to buy a certain amount of it every month some of these products that they sell through multi-level now are really good. My friend, John Odermatt sells uh, some sort of like um, a drink that helps with the probiotics and fitness and stuff like that. And, and he's lost like 40 pounds, something. I saw the before and after picture of him. I was like, good Lord. Like he's, but he's really bought into this business and he's actively working to sell it. And I love seeing that. I love seeing people out there, selling what they believe in. And if you've got a product, I don't care whether it's from a multi-level marketing company or something you created yourself. If you believe in that, if you think lives would be, people would be better for having it, um, then you have an obligation, I feel like, to go out and do everything you can to get people to buy it. That's the way I feel about my products. You know, like the copy clinic you talked about that you're so excited about. I, I believe, I believe this will change people's lives. I think that this will change businesses, that this will help people make more money and live more fulfilled lives. If I really believe that, I have a responsibility, a duty to go out and sell it. Uh, to do anything less is to cheat myself and my family and also the person who's buying it. Uh, and so that's, that's the way I look at this kind of stuff. Yeah, you definitely express passion. And I think that's the missing element in most people's, uh, uh, whether they fail or they succeed, do they have the passion behind what they're doing? Yeah, for sure. Well, Jason, I, I understand that your time is very valuable as mine is too. So I, I, I want to wrap it up. But uh, I was inspired to name my podcast uh, a long time ago. And uh, I, I was laughing. I, I said I talked to Brian McWilliams earlier and I told yeah. him this story that uh, when I put a sales team together, the name of my sales team was Invictus. I was inspired by the poem Invictus, which uh, I actually, i never read the poem until I saw the movie by the same title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then right when I was starting buying, uh, excuse me, right when I started putting this podcast together, I was coming up with a name. On your show, you read the poem Invictus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that son of a gun, he just took my idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, it's been something I've been uh, adhering to, this, this I can't be controlled. I'm unconquerable. I, I am the master of my fate. You know, I am the commander of my soul. In fact, I have the poem right here on my, uh, on my wall. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny too, if you, if you study who that guy was when, when he wrote that poem, he suffered immense pain and, and uh, throughout his entire life, had to have body parts amputated. And he actually wrote that poem while he was lying in a hospital bed after having either one or both of his legs amputated, cut off. And keep in mind, this was at a time when the way they did it was you drank a fifth of bourbon and put a stick in your mouth and then they sawed your leg off. Yeah. Um, like that, that's, that's where they were at at, the, at that time. And so for him to, to write something so powerful, like you said, the the last stanza of it is just like, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Like, I mean, it's so empowering 
to read it and to and then to know where he was at mentally when he wrote that uh, always gave me courage, gave me strength, and reminded me that I'm in charge of my destiny. That if I wherever I'm at right now. Uh, all it takes is me making some different choices and I can work my way out of this. Uh, and it, it opens up your mind instead of, instead of looking externally for all the reasons for your, your plight, you look internally and say, what can I do? What can I control in order to move me out of this situation that I'm in? And I think that we as, we as Americans and, and humans in general don't do enough of that. We spend far too much time blaming others. And I know that seems like a very uh, objectivist kind of Ayn Rand philosophy. And there are a lot of people who have used that, uh, that philosophy of, look, your troubles are a result of you to, uh, you know, to really do a lot of damage to people. If you watch the Keith Raniere thing that they've been, you know, that they've got on, uh, on Netflix or whatever about the guy, it's called The Vow. I think it's on HBO Max. Hmm. And that was his whole thing was like, oh, well, anytime that you, that, that you, uh, you know, that you disagree with anything that we're saying, that's your problem. You've got a block that you need to overcome. And they just like, they twisted it and made it something ugly. But the truth is for, to me, it's empowering to look at my life and say, uh, the, the decisions that I made brought me here. And if this isn't where I want to be, then the decisions that I make tomorrow will determine where I'm going to go. The decisions I'm making right now are going to determine where my path ends up. And so if I want to go a different direction or end up in a different place, I just need to make different choices. That, that's an empowering thing for me. And I think it's an empowering for people who feel like they don't have a lot of control in their lives. Because when we break it down and we say, okay, what do you want? What is it? What do you want? And they're like, well, I want this. And when we can get them to be honest enough about it, be like, because some people are like, dude, I want to move out in the middle of nowhere and I don't want to see anybody and I just want to shoot guns and drive four wheelers all day. Boom. Okay. How we get you there. Let's start working on that. What's step one? Well, step one is to get you out of this job that doesn't ever going to pay you enough to, uh, you know, to go and buy that piece of property that you want to live on. Okay. How do we do that? Well, we got to increase your skill set. You got to get you some better skills so that we can get you a better job or we can get you into an entrepreneurial career where you can make that kind of money. But see, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, action steps. What do I need to be doing right now to move me to that destination? Most people don't have a destination, so they have no direction. You know, if you have no, if you're aiming for no port, no winds are favorable, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's the way we got to look at this. And I've always found that terribly empowering. And for most of the people that I've worked with, uh, they feel the same way. Well, I want to thank you for that, Jason. You said it beautifully. So there's only one logical answer to the question I'm going to ask you. And that is, are you Invictus? Oh, every day, man. Every day. Awesome. Awesome. Jason, I love you. I, you have a, a, a great following. Uh, there's lots of people that you've inspired and, you know, people I've talked to that uh, have told me that you've inspired. Keep doing the good work. Uh, you know, I, I like to tease people when I talk about you saying that uh, Jason's training is competition here, but uh, you are definitely miles ahead of where I am. Uh, but but uh, I definitely uh, I look up to you. Well, I look forward. I look forward to the day that you surpass me, and I get to point and say, like, I, 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 I remember. I remember when that guy was just starting out. Look at him now. I can't wait for that day to come. 
Awesome. Is there anything you want to plug? Any, uh, you're always putting out something, uh, anything particular you want to, you want to say at the end here? Yeah. I mean, I, I would love it. If your if your audience would like a free digital copy of the book, I'd love to give it to them. All they got to do is to go to nomadic, uh, nomadicwealthoffer.com nomadicwealthoffer.com and it'll give you an opportunity for a free digital download. Just uh, just read the book and if you like it, uh, share it with somebody. Post it online and you know throw it around. I just I want to get it in as many hands as possible. I want this concept to start to take hold. I've been very blessed. We've sold oh, thousands of books at this point and, and I feel uh, um, it's, it, it's starting. We're, we're moving our way up the ladder. I think we're number 43 in, entrepreneur, in the entrepreneur category of Amazon. So that uh, that's exciting. I'm just, I'm, I'm really happy that this message is resonating. And I think now's the time. Now's the time because so many people are waking up to realize that their, their income wasn't a guarantee, that their job wasn't, uh, wasn't secure. And, and I want them, I want people to be able to start looking and moving towards a different way of providing for themselves. So the, the book's a great start and it's free. So other than that, you know, go to jasonstapleton.com. Wealth, Power, and Influence, of course, a podcast. I would love it if you guys would listen to that. Uh, but other than that, you know, that's it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jason. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, my friend. I want to thank Jason Stapleton for coming on my show today. He's such a cool guy and a really good dude. and I've learned so much from him. I also want to thank all you great listeners out there because without you, these interviews really would have no purpose. We're trying to change the world here, one listener at a time. So if you enjoy this stuff, please share it with two or three of your friends, and I'll catch you next week. Until then, stay informed, stay productive, and stay free. Stay free.